the good, the bad, and the Boucherian. The good, the bad, and the Boucherian. And folks, you're listening to the good, the bad, and the Boucherian. So, and another thing about ADHD, in Africa especially, and in girls, it's grossly, Billy, I'm telling you, it is so grossly misdi- either misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed. Most people with ADHD don't even know they have ADHD yet. And it is very mm-hmm. sad to watch because I see this thing on social media a lot. People who have ADHD is talking about how they can see ADHD in other people, but these people don't know it yet. Because mm-hmm. the first session I had with my psychiatrist, I was misdiagnosed. They told me, he told me I have mixed MADD. MADD stands for Mixed Anxieties Depressive Disorder. So I remember going home, I read for hours and hours, I was just reading about this Mixed Anxieties Depressive Disorder. I was wondering, what is this? What is this I've been diagnosed with? Because everything I read about it did not look at look like me at all. I was like, what is this? And it's the one reason that I will never recommend my psychiatrist to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, this guy laughed. He told me, "How can you say you you? How can you think you have ADHD and you went to Alliance?" It's your boy, Billy, back at it with another episode. Hope you guys are keeping well, keeping safe amidst the pandemic and things are going well on your side as they are. I think I need to find a new intro now that the pandemic is wearing off. But today in studio, my guest is Tara Kadenyi. As she says, she was a class of Bush 2016. Okay, Bush G for the boys, because they'll come for me if I don't say Bush G. (laughs) And she says it was the best class ever in that school. So I think uh, the listeners who are from that school will tell me about that. But she's a telecom graduate currently in France uh, as a language assistant. She is a mental mental health advocate. She has ADHD, which is now, now I know it's called the white boy bias. And she'll tell us a bit or rather a lot about that. And she's a sports enthusiast. I don't know why she didn't even tell me about uh, basketball. Tara, why didn't you tell me to say basketball? But she's been a basketball captain all her life. And she believes, a strong believer, that sports can change the world. So Tara, tell us about all these things that I've mentioned, all these great things that you brought, little Tara. Tell me where it all began. Um, Where did it all begin? Because there's very many facets to Tara. But I've always been a go-getter, I've always been curious about life. I've always been, say, I don't want to use the word different. I've always been a lot of things. Let's just say a lot of things. I've always been the kind of person to involve themselves in very many things from a very young age, and it's still reflecting my life right now. And as I was saying, um, it's sad that I don't remember a good chunk of my childhood. The few things I remember, I only remember because at some point, either my parents or my yeah, little Tara was very adventurous, as is grown Tara. Do you want to tell us about yeah. uh, little Tara's first culture shock? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It probably wasn't my first. Who knows? But I remember when... Tell me your first. <laughs> I don't 
I don't know what the first is, honestly. But I think the first that I can remember is when I moved to Nairobi from Eldoret. I was studying <clears throat> and between the years 2009 going down, I was studying in Hill School Eldoret. And then after that, when we moved to Nairobi, I that was in class three. I moved to Mech, um, Nairobi. And it was a very different experience for me. I felt like oh, I didn't I wasn't getting what's going on. Everyone was so chatty, everyone was so confident. And there I was. I think I, I used to think I was confident before, but like mm-hmm. this was a different world of kids I was seeing. And then for the most part, <laughs> I remember being very quiet and quite shy in the classroom to the point that my teacher asked my mom whether I talk at all. Because so <laughs> it was, I don't know, it was a lot for me, but I think I grew out of that child because I can pick, I remember myself in class five being almost as bold as I am now, but it did, it did take a lot of unlearning and learning. So it's a process. Yeah. And during that time, what, what, what the just making it any easier for you to start talking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. There was this one teacher and I had forgotten her name up until now. But I remember now she was called Mrs. Chacha and she made me feel very comfortable. She quickly understood because, yeah, she was a teacher. She understands there's different needs for different students. And she quickly saw that um, I was struggling to settle culture shock, different environment. And she really helped me feel at home. And within no time, I was comfortable enough to be myself in the new environment. And did you at times miss Eldoret? See, the thing is, I don't remember. I actually don't remember. I just remember missing the familiarity of Eldoret. But, you know, kids adapt very fast to new environments. One minute yeah. you go to Nairobi, next minute you go somewhere else, and you're as good as you. You've, you've moved on very fast. Yeah. yeah. That's all, that's all no I No attachments, no nothing. No nothing, no nothing, really. You're just a kid enjoying life. But definitely now with the boldness, I'm guessing also academic press came into play. So tell me about mm-hmm. that. Have you always been the smartest kid in the room? No, definitely no. Come on, I'm going to Alliance. What do you mean? <laughs> ah, no, no way. And I think this is something people need to hear. Mm-hmm. I, am a very, I know I'm a smart person. And it's, I think it's a yes. good thing mm-hmm. to recognize your strengths and uh, in equal measure your weaknesses. But I don't think I've ever particularly felt like I'm the smartest in the room, even when I was. Who knows? But like, because people have potential out there and you can't gauge smartness by one metric. And there's very many ways of looking at it. So after MEC, where did I go? After MEC, I was in MEC from class five to class three to class five, sorry. And then after that, I went to another school in Western called Central. And then after that, uh, for the final year, I went to Book Academy. And then after that, I went to, I joined Alliance. So I can confidently say that my parents have really invested in my education. All of us, all my siblings, like if there's, if there's one thing my parents invested in, it was our education. I went to the schools that most people consider the best schools at their level. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then flash forward after Alliance, there was Strathmore, which is also... Before you flash forward, 
Oh, yes, yes. You mentioned something very peculiar about going to a school in Western. Mm-hmm. Definitely the, some of the ones that perform very well at that level. But again, mm-hmm. from some of the guests I've had, those schools, yeah. there's a lot of trauma that comes hey. with all day. <laughs> and you've not talked about that, which is very unique. Yeah. So is it that the ones you went to are very good? No, no, or no, you don't no. remember? I know, I, I do remember. <laughs> Hey, I think uh-huh. you can't, you can't, you can't school in Western and and fail to remember how the experience was. Yeah, schooling in Western Kenya is a different ball game. Honestly, it's uh, I don't know, because um personally I wasn't there for too long. I was only there for one, two, three, almost four years, and in the four years I was one the um three of those years, I was in a public school, and the public school was. It was basically military style. We used to be beaten a lot for no reason. You know, those, the, the, the typical Kenyan public school Western experiences, just it's 100% caning, kilasa. It feels like mistreatment. But for some reason, mine wasn't too bad because um, ever since I joined, I was a teacher's favorite in many in many aspects. CG, that smart kid who came from Nairobi, CG. The one who speaks English 24-7. I was that kind of girl in the school. So I found favor with the teachers, even with, um, what's the name, principal. And I remember it was <laughs> it was very hard for them to let me go to another school to do my KCPE. Because here I am, the top student, leaving to go to another school. And the school that I went to, Buka, um, it was a bit better in terms of discipline. It wasn't as harsh, but it still had those military style kind of punishments and and learning. It wasn't. I wouldn't. I don't blame them. I think um, the the previous generation have different ways of looking at things and handling things. But now that people talk about it more, people know better, and I hope people will do better. And that I pray that the next the current and the next generation of teachers won't be as cruel with students because it's it's a lot now and now that i'm a teacher at this specific time in my life i know i understand i get i see it from both sides you know mm-hmm. yeah i see it from both sides absolutely and now uh, a lot of times we talk about um the no, no, I want you to tell me about now you moving to there. Now you've said you are the Nairobi girl, yeah, who speaks English all the time. How was that? Why did you find favor hey. as well with the students? Hey, let me tell you, it was ah, in fact, that's even culture shock in itself because exactly, yeah, because uh-huh. when I went to Nairobi, it was culture shock. Then going back to Eldoret, I mean, to Mumias, it was Mumias, uh, particularly in Western, it was different again because, um. I left Eldoret being shy. I went to Nairobi. I became bold. I integrated so much with them. Then I went back to Mumias and I found that I am like the boldest there. And I'm the one who speaks English all the time. And I, I just felt different. Like, uh, like, And then I remember one of the things that happened on the very first day when my sister and I joined the school was, <laughs> this is very funny. We went to school. I think it, either, it was either on the interview day or the admission day. We were told to remove our earrings. Can you imagine? We were told to remove our earrings because mm-hmm. it felt like competition with the teachers. Like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and we did, we did so. We didn't even ask questions. We did so. And then there's another thing. Another thing I remember was 
we kept being corrected because every time the, the the principal used to talk to us because we were from Nairobi for some for some reason we kept saying stuff like yeah yeah and he told us stop saying yeah say yes sir <laughs> and we found it so funny at that time because like why you we've come from Nairobi this is what we've been saying and then now we can't say that because uh, I don't know what that had to do with but it was it was a whole change it was a whole different ball game again Mhm. Yeah. And the students they like you guys. I'm like the teachers pets you guys are oh, stealing the honestly, spotlight. Honestly there's a bit, there's a, there was a bit uh, there was a bit of both cuz I remember I had I didn't have too many friends at the beginning and the friends that I had in fact there was one I there's one I, I particularly remember I shout out to Ural. I know he listened to this cuz I'll send him this. Um Ural Owate I remember we I think he had also come from Nairobi. Yeah, he must have. Yeah, if I'm not if I'm not wrong. <laughs> he must we, have lol. I don't know what that means, have. but honestly, okay. he must have cuz <laughs> we blended so fast. It wasn't as hard as with the rest. And I remember being picked on for some reason cuz you know, you know when teachers like you students don't like you cuz like why yeah. is she new and she's being favored out of nowhere. It was it was a bit uncomfortable at the beginning and um luckily I didn't think too much about it because i was a kid i was too blind to see what was happening and i got immersed into drama stuff so i was also busy going on with my life i didn't think too much about all that mhm yeah and now going to book again yeah first now you've actually talked about changing switching schools a lot mm-hmm. why what was probably would you like to share what the reason was and for you do you think that was for the best or do you mm-hmm. feel like it would have been better to stick to one school all along i see sticking to one school all along was not an option cuz it it came with my parents moving workplaces from this place to this place and this place to this place and western for our family schooling in western is something something everybody in our family has gone through it's like a tradition at this point Apart from my baby brother, <laughs> apart from my, the youngest one, you know the youngest ones are usually the different ones. Um, yeah, but schooling—I don't regret it. It was all good. It, it it had its lessons, its ups and downs. It was a good time actually. It was a very good time, living with kids in the estates there, um, enjoying childhood. Like we had a real childhood. You know, these kids of these days—I'm talking like I'm thirty years. Yeah. Old. Kids of these days don't know these childhood, these types of childhoods. Oh, na kwanga Wi-Fi and CG. PS5 video games yeah. the challenge i'm talking about is the one for playing we played playing football fo- playing football barefoot on the road with that kabol you know that kabol that imefunga funga na makaratasi yes and ropes eh. Eh, that that is a football we played and siji chama macha baba like life was good life was good simple good no worries it was a good life no comparison i think even that like right now you see the pressure of kids wanting to have the latest gadgets or yeah. the latest games yeah for us there's no your parents weren't feeling pressure to do things for you cuz yeah. you know cuz life was so simple what did you need surely at that time yeah it's actually sad to look at it oh my god yeah like look in hindsight i don't even think at getting certain shoes was a big deal it was but, like yeah. Yeah. Then you get to high school. Now we're going to high school. Now you really you really wanted to come to high school. 
So tell me mm-hmm. now they knew her high school culture shock. Now for you, mm. like for me for the first time I experienced culture shock was definitely high school. Uh-huh. But for you now you've experienced culture shocks in many aspects. So now tell me like, high school culture shock. How was that? Mm-hmm. How about you? Maybe you didn't experience a culture shock. I mean, I probably intro. did. I probably did. Even if I didn't recognize it as culture shock back then, I, it should have been. Because <laughs> it was a very different experience. You know, when you go to Alliance, you've been told that... No, the first thing, one of the first things you're told there, and I think I also had somebody saying this in the pod um, some episodes back, was that at a, you're told that everybody here was a giant in their respective schools. Everybody here performed acad- um, excellently academically. It's somewhat an equalizer because we had students who are uh, top of their county, top of their county, uh, Mombasa, top of their county, where Nairobi even, and they're all in the same school together, and they all have the same facilities, wearing the same uniform. It's, it was kind of cool to see how different people from different parts of the world interact, because I think that's the first time in my life that I met so many diverse people from different mm-hmm. cultures, with different behaviors, and it was, for me, I found it very beautiful to see. It was very beautiful. And I wouldn't say I went through anything like bullying or what I hear kids go through these days or even some years after us. I had a very good form one year. In fact, not even form one. I had a very good run through form one to form four. Like my high school life was, it wasn't perfect, obviously, but it was okay. It was a good, it was a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now tell me about the academia bit of it now that you, when I said you're the smartest in the room, you told me <laughs> you went to Alliance. Tell me about that aspect oh, yeah. where. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Ooh, now you see, I was I, was I the top? I think, yeah, I was the top girl in the county in my KCP, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Hey. Now you see, going to Alliance, that is like everybody's, that's the same, everybody's uh, when yeah. on the top somewhere. And it meant at some point that, Sidri, when you do the exam, you won't be the number you're used to being, you know, because Sidri mocks and you're always top not even top 10, top five, one, two, three there. That's your competition. And then you do our first exam. And I, I remember I was, no, I don't remember the exact number, but I wasn't even in top 100. It was either 100 and something or <laughs> 200 and something. Uh-huh. And that was a new experience for me. <laughs> ah, but we had... You're just wondering, Yeah. You get used to it because mm-hmm. there's people there who are geniuses. Up to today, I look back and I think about the people that I shared spaces with in Alliance girls, and I'm like, wow, these girls were bright. Yeah. They were smart, and these girls were hardworking. Like these people earned their their places in um, in the academic society, in the academic ecosystem of Alliance. I see a lot of slander on social media these days saying, Sidri, how people used to steal exams, Sidri Alliance. No, let me tell you the truth. People there, people in Alliance Girls used to read, like their lives depended on it. And to some extent, it wasn't healthy because, and we, we've talked about this a lot with people from my year when we, you know, 
quote unquote mm-hmm. trauma bond when you talk about how some things that we used to accept as normal in high school are not normal and should not be normal because there was this there's this super obsession with the a there's there's literally there was i think there was a slogan about the a i don't know i don't remember it well it's been a, it's been a while honestly but like there's a super obsession about getting that a at alliance and when you're out you realize it's not all that like there's so mm. much to do in high school so many people to meet make networks we have um, wonderful friendships engage in co-curricular activities build yourself and it's it's not just about the a but in real sense there are many very, there are very many smart people in that school and i props to them i hope they're doing well right now what is it like fast did you yeah. you hear the year that people used to shave hair so they don't uh, so they focus on their studies the year what what year is that there's a, there was such a year okay your school not a year but you know your school had something of the sort was there anything of the sort in fact at at our my school i myself was that kind of person my parents for some reason thought that at you when you shave your hair you focus more on your studies i mean come on come on now come on come on, come on. what angle is that shout out to your mother who listen to this uh-huh. shout out to her cuz i will send her but like yeah, I she's come to the podcast to defend that i need to hear the perspective she her perspective she won't defend it cuz now she knows better but honestly it wasn't, uh-huh. it wasn't a good system these tiny things that are ingrained to us when we are young really affect us when we are older cuz your hair has nothing to do with your academic performance your hair is not supposed to define you in any way i mean this is the same mother who advised me to put guess what is on my hair right now dreads locks exactly so i mean dreadlocks are looked down upon dreadlocks are thought to be for rowdy people rastafari um, i mean but it's just a hairstyle come on at the end of the day there's more to a human being than a hairstyle or your physical appearance yeah yeah and uh, would you was there did you ever face stigma because of shaving your hair at that time not at all and even if i did i didn't realize it let me tell you in high school i was too busy with basketball and co-curricular activities to 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 think of something so honestly i was in those kids for way way i was was i bold yeah i think i was bold i was bold not as i am right now because right now i understand myself i know myself better but back then i was i think i was a popular person i don't know maybe i was i think so yeah because i was I was the basketball captain at some point. I was the what's the name of this thing? Com. There's a yeah, Com. It's called Com. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I sound so old. I was a Com chair lady. I was those things like I was always on the spotlight for some reason. It's during house drama. Doing the most. Busy. Always doing the most. I'm telling you, always from back then. And it was a good time because doing the most always distracts you from the academic pressure. See the what? I don't think I ever had like intense academic pressure i just knew i had to pass you know i didn't always feel like i had to be the top unona mm-hmm. the pressure for sidu have to be the top of the top of the entire um, the county or sidu top 100 in the in the country because there's that thing in alliance there's people who uh, in form 4 they have the pressure for they have to be in top 100 i mean my parents did want me to perform well but i never felt the pressure for you have to be the best you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
And I love how you even brought that aspect up that people who went to these schools actually, some of them actually deserved to be in oh, that school. Do. Oh, they do. Hey, 100% for you, what do. is what was one of the peculiar things that you actually realized and also someone and said, Ukweli, this one, it was not by luck. So for me, I'll tell you an example where, mm-hmm. at least in Form mm-hmm. 1, I saw a certain Form 4 used to read for, not SATs, used to read Harvard mm. engineering books mm-hmm. when everyone else is reading for, for uh, mocks and everything and still emerge top five. Another person I'll tell you in mm-hmm. my year, mm-hmm. um, I don't know how smart he was, but he could hear Mm-hmm. He made a radio. Is it a radio? He caught a signal of radio where he could stream his own, you know, his own radio show, quote unquote, from mm-hmm. his cubicle. Wow. That's Are we genius. in the same school? Imagine. <laughs> Imagine. Wow. That's a genius. People can beat you in chess in two, in less than almost five moves. And you're just wondering for you, what was mm-hmm. that thing that you just knew this for deserved? To be here, um, wow, I don't, I'm not sure I have anything particular to point out, but obviously, the I would, I would just say the intense hours of and commitment in their studies. Like, there's people who, um, I think there was one, two, three girls that I remember were always the top every exam if i'm not wrong and these girls like there's just a way you know there's a way people you can see somebody and you can tell they're different even with the first interaction you can talk to somebody and you can tell this one is not like the rest she's this yeah about them that yeah. is the that was the kind of air honestly that was the kind of air you talk mm-hmm. to people how they think how they act how they carry out themselves people are just different people are excellent that's the word i'd use they're excellent Mm, mm, in very many ways. So yeah. And this these are the same people. Let me tell you the thing about Alliance. What were Kwanalala? <laughs> it's funny now. Really? Because now back then it was like some form of accomplishment. But now that we're we're grown and we know how to take care of ourselves and all that, we know that we need to rest. Because I remember these people who used to stay up all okay, almost all night reading. Same, same people. See Juta Patani dining hall captain, they need to be awake by four. They need to be sitting in the dining hall by what time? Same, same person is also sitting the vice chair lady of what house who is supposed to be taking care of everybody else in the house. Like people were just doing so many things with their lives at such a young age. When you think about it, we're around 13 to less than 20 years old. Well, we, people are excellent. People are excellent in that school. That, that was that, you, that is you speaking about yourself. So tell me about yourself. No, 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 that's not you. <laughs> but you said me. you are in extracurricular, but you're also performing well. Yeah, so yeah, tell yeah. me about that. Tell me about the duality of that where you were able to, because a lot of uh-huh. guys have come on the pod and told, talked about how hard it is to balance between your academia and also mm. doing all these other things. And for you, you're there in committee, you're their captain, yeah. you're of basketball, you're also performing well. And in all these facets, you need to exert yourself. So in the yeah. as a captain, definitely, you need to be there for the training sessions. Oh, yeah. In, you have to put in your, as you said, guys are reading. So even you have to put in your hours of reading. Yeah. Committee, you also have to make sure cleaning is being done. So for you, how are you doing it all? And then there's also CG Music Festival. Ah, So um, for me... You see, when something is easy for you, you don't struggle to do it. You don't use much effort. When you, I mean, some, when something, when it's something you like, 
it comes naturally to you. You don't have to push yourself too much. So for me, one thing yeah. I have grown to realize that's, I mean, two things, sports and leadership come very naturally to me. That's one thing I have grown to realize. I think back then I, I didn't know it. I just thought it, I was, I was chosen to be. Gifted. I, yeah, I mean, I didn't see it as that. I thought I was Kimbele Mbele. And that mm-hmm. is where I was chosen to do some things. I mean, uh, ah, Nitara. Sabas, yatafanya. Because I remember the time. This particular time before, I think either at a second year, what's the second year for high school called? <laughs> form two. <laughs> form two, yes. I think sometime in form two or form three, I was participating in every everything in the house. Know your Mimi? I think I was the fastest runner in the house. Inter-house athletics, know your Mimi? Inter-house, um, inter-house music, I'm the one doing the rap. Sidri, inter-house drama, I'm the lead, I'm the lead, um, lead male, male, what's the, what's the word? The actress who's doing the male part, the male, I don't mm-hmm. know what school, I was that. Um, Huku basketball, I'm still doing my stuff. Then at some point, I was also in inter, what's the word, um, music festival, I was doing French elocution, that's uh, public speaking, stuff like that. I did, I, I think I did use my time well in school, I don't regret it, I even wrote about it on my blog. Um... And I wasn't, I, I wouldn't say at I was performing badly in class. I wasn't like the best. I wasn't like top five, but I wasn't doing badly. I was okay. My grades yeah. were okay. Yeah, I was balancing quite well. Well, And it wasn't always easy because the days, especially as a basketballer, and I think I think I had myself say something like this on the pod too. Um, you have those faces in basketball where, when your team is not doing well, when you're not doing well in basketball, almost every sector of your life goes down. And it's ah, it, it can get annoying because Umenda, you've gone to Sidrich Opens, you've gone to the seasons and you're losing games and it starts to affect you mentally and that starts to affect your performance in school and that's when parents start. I think every every single basket, every single person who's played basketball in high school has had a point where their parent reached a point and said, no, no more basketball for you. Focus on your studies. Especially, it's, it's really from three. From three, their parents start being wakali. They say, uh-uh, abana. Mm-hmm. And they don't realize that this sport that you're playing is an outlet for you, you know. Mm-hmm. They don't realize that this sport you're playing is the one thing that is keeping you alive in school. Without that sport, you would lose it, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's so much to sports. I have that I could take the whole day talking about it. I could take the whole day talking about how impactful sports is in a person's life, not even just mentally, from the networks you make, from the kind of interactions you make, uh, fitness. Oh, I mean, there's so much to that. And it keeps you sane in an ecosystem where the whole, the only thing that is being preached is A, A, get that A, get that A. And that's what you see happening these days with the kids. I don't know how recent, I don't know what's the, when is the last time it happened, but you see... You see this. You see these fires we've been seeing for high school high school kids burning schools. Yeah, these kids have been deprived of things they were used to, like um, entertainment and dream music festival. They don't go out for funkies. They don't go out for for sports. How do you expect these kids to survive? Honestly, I'm not. I'm not defending them, but like they were deprived of a lot. And mm-hmm. honestly, high school is hell without these things. High school is hell. High school in Kenya is hell. 
you need yeah. an outlet. You actually need an outlet. Without that, you're gonna you you'll just break. So, yeah. And I agree with you on that because it's insane to have kids stay in school for a whole semester. Mm-hmm. But what do they call it? A term without term. interacting with other people, without mm-hmm. having sports. Because now the curriculum has to be rushed, so the sports sessions are reduced. Yeah. For me, it's actually so crazy because I have a brother who's doing almost sitting his um, exams. Okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And um, KCP. And for oh, him, mm-hmm. he's in school for over 12 hours. So oh, he no. leaves the house at around 6.30 and he's home at 7.30. Oh, so no. can you imagine how crazy that is? For a child who's not even 12, for a yeah. child who's not even 13, to have yeah. to go through such crazy hours, even in, our, in the workplace, we don't stay yeah. at work for that long. Even I don't stay at work for that long. I, I can't even survive that at my age, honestly. Yeah, so you just wonder what system are we building. And now that I want you to talk about now sports more in depth, that you said you could talk about it for days, please yeah. tell me about how fundamental sports are. Because as you said, a lot of guys think sports is just for fun. Or guys think uh, sports are things you waste time. So when you're failing, your parents are just wondering, why, yeah. why are you doing this sport and your grade? So tell me in depth how important yeah. sports are, as you've said, from the networking to keeping yeah. you sane. Tell me all about it. Okay, where do I even start? So if if anyone was to ask me to talk about any aspect of my life, at some point sports would be mentioned. Because in my 22 years of living, um, sports is the one thing that has, uh, that has been either constant or the most impactful, especially in terms of networks. All, um, my closest friends are people I got from sports particularly basketball, um, people I admire, people I admire in life, people I want to be like, I would say are sports people. Um, what else? The thing about sports and balancing, um, people ask, every time you get, you get, I do an interview or anything of that sort, people ask you, how do you get to balance sports and say, gee, what, how do you get to balance? Honestly, for me, I would say you can't balance it. There's no, there's no perfect balance. At some point, one will have to go down one will have to come up. It's just about prioritizing. There's no perfect balance per se, but when you come, when you reach a point and you, you realize that um, both of these things in your life are equally important and none is lesser than, than the other. Because usually for Kenya um, and most African countries, sport is considered a, uh, a what's the word? Co-curricular activity. There's another, yeah. there's another word for it. Like it's not extra it's not curricular. Extra, that's the word. They say they call it an extracurricular yeah. activity. It's something that you can do in your free time, something that you can do when you have um a break. And there's countries where um kids do these sports from a very young age and they specialize and they go even further than people who are doing who are who, who are doing like purely academics. So it's crazy to see kids, I mean, parents forcing their kids to go to to school and study, should you go be a lawyer and go, should you be a what, engineer, and, and everybody in the world can see this kid is so good at football. And if they're allowed to play that football, they would go so far. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, I think we should, and I'm glad we're, we're, we're getting into the point where people are realizing that they should just let kids follow their dreams because honestly, that's all a kid wants to do. If that's all a kid wants to do, let them do it. 
you won't lose much let your kid do whatever they want to do mm-hmm. yeah um and then in as far as it as it goes mentally because i've played sports i've played um i think i still kind of do it just because i'm on I'm, I'm on a long break right now i still do play basketball but i did play basketball throughout my my uni life i got in fact sports educated me if you think about it sports educated me i got a scholarship in strathmore university um a sports scholarship really yeah i did hey. uh-huh yeah. and it was very it was actually by chance like that this is where the networking comes in um i was just chilling at home and then i reconnect with one of my friends um from buka it's called Wesley Godey. I reconnect with him. We talk about, we talk, Kidogo, Kidogo he tells me, Siju is playing basketball where, and at that point, I had already developed some interest in, interest in basketball. Not even some, enough. Like, I had played basketball enough throughout high school. And then he's here telling me he's going for trials at, tryouts at Strathmore University. And then I'm like, oh, they have tryouts? Uh, how do they go? He explains to me everything. Uh, we plan with my mom, Kidogo, Kidogo, I'm on the next bus to Nairobi. I was in Eldoresh was, was at the time. Kidogo, Kidogo, I'm on the next bus to Nairobi. I go for the trials. I wasn't even the best. I wasn't even the one of the best. But one thing that saved me was that I had good handles and I had speed. And by virtue of that, I was taken into the team and I studied for four years in Strathmore University just because of sports. Through the really? network I had, with, yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. all sports for me, and I don't think I would have survived four years in university without having played basketball. Because sports was my let me not let, let me call it basketball as it is. Let me say basketball, not sports. Basketball was my my escape. It was my it was my how do I call it? Um, like where you go to rest because. Uh, uni is exhausting and Strathmore Strathmore is intense. Yeah. And telecommunications is very intense. Any IT course that requires you to do projects, like the whole semester you're doing one project, that's in second year, not even just fourth year. It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I used to look at my classmates. There's no one, okay, now there were three people who did sports in my class and then the rest were just hanging around. I used to wonder these people, how are you living? How are you living life? Because I still don't get it. I still don't get how people in uni go through uni without either sports or a co-curricular activity like a club or something. Because you have uni is the one time you have so much. You can decide to have so much free time, and it's like a make or break. If you join the wrong company in uni, if you misplace your priorities, your future could just go down from there. And if you associate with the right people, with the right, with the right connections, with the, with the right networks, with the right um, groups, it could be defining for you. For me, it was very defining because right from first year, the people I've interacted with from the clubs, I've been, okay, I haven't been in many clubs. I was only in ISEC for, for a short bit. And then for the most part, I was in basketball. But all through that time, if there's one thing I would remember that has left a mark on me, it's the people. The people. Mm-hmm. So, sports gives you a community, in short. Sports gives you a community. And yeah. I think that's one thing that every sports person talks about. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, I think it's a very in-depth thing that that if you're not playing a sport, you didn't get. Because mm-hmm. mm. you guys always talk about as if it's like a family kind of, oh, you it know, is. you feel like it you're is. part of something. Uh-huh. It is, it is for sure. 
Because the thing about sports, these people that you call a team, these people that you call teammates, you have cried together, you have lost games together. No one else understands the feeling of a loss apart from your teammates and your coach. You have won games together. You have won games that you thought you would lose and you have lost games that you thought you'd win. Like there's there's a series of shared feelings that only your teammates can relate to. And it's people you've been there for a long period of, you've been with for a long period of time. It's, it's an unbreakable bond to say the least. It just, it's, it's an unbreakable bond. It's a community that goes beyond blood and, you know, Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from what you're saying, at least I've heard that you're a very good sportsman. Because for some <laughs> of us are very sore losers. So tell me oh, about oh. that, about lessons you've learned through sports in terms of losing and crying. Ah uh, come on. Whoa. <laughs> um I think I've had my own fair share of losses and I've had my own fair share of wins. Um when it comes to sports, but one of the, the the worst feelings in sports, or basketball in particular, is having an almost. In life generally, having an almost is bad. Either it's it's um when when you almost didn't when you almost made it and you didn't, or an almost lover, or an almost win. This particular case, um, those games that you lost at the at the at the last whistle. You know those games that yeah. You almost had it and then you didn't. It's that's the worst feeling ever in sports. But like I think with time you come to realize and I was telling my teammates this just the other day, some losses in your life are very necessary. Because without those losses you wouldn't realize how bad you are, you know. Or like where mm-hmm. to make to make amends. Yeah. Um so I think losses do play a, a huge role in making you as an athlete and they're very necessary. You can't just be winning everything, even if you're good, Sidri, how you need to lose to learn some things. You know, you need to yeah. lose to learn the team dynamics. You need to lose to learn um, what to change. You need to lose to learn, I mean, countless lessons. So as as many people say this day, it's not a loss, it's a lesson. So, yeah. It's, yeah. It's and, and now... Uh, now that you went to Alliance, please tell me about now the <laughs> aspect of it. Because for me, going to Alliance meant that I'm not taught about failure and losing. So mm-hmm. I'm a very bad loser. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, like, okay. So for you, how mm-hmm. was that like? Because Alliance, as you said, you're indoctrinated into getting this A. So anything below mm-hmm. that A is failure or in this case, anything below average. other than winning mm-hmm. is losing. Yeah. So for you, was accepting losses that has it always been that easy? And tell me about that. Um, I don't think um alliance I don't think the alliance mentality for winning, winning, winning got to me that much. Cause even if you're in alliance, when you're in a sport, it changes everything. When you're in a sport, you learn to lose. You get used to losing. I mean, you could be winning in class you could be winning every section of your life but then you go to opens and you meet what school was this um loreto i think it was loreto or something um there's a school that used to beat us there's one school called steph joy (laughs) there's a school called steph joy that used to beat us every single time at the same level 
in my four years in uni in my four years in in high school i never got to high, to nationals i don't know that feeling can you imagine i never i don't know the feeling of nationals we always got really? that imagine all my four years the, the last people who went for nationals were the i think the year before me and mm-hmm. from there we never went it was always regional finals that we were beaten every single time so i think I've, i got used to losing at a very young age and i can see how well it has done for me in life right now because and those people you know those people who apply for everything those people who apply 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 when you see a job and an opportunity apply apply and i think it's taken me to where i am right now and most people usually not don't apply or they don't try things for the fear of losing but like mm-hmm. come on losing will if you apply for 100 things you you will at least you'll get at least one i mean you could fail you could fail a million times but there's a million and one time that you'll you'll get up and you'll get that opportunity so losing is a valuable lesson so you everybody needs to lose at least one in their once in their life and it's interesting that you you've mentioned this um let me give you a story sort of a story it's an instance i have at the moment i teach kindergarten not kindergarten it's elementary elementary school kids here in france i teach them english and i have this mm-hmm. class there's one particular kid who's a, he's all, I think he's a genius he's those kids who know everything they study ahead of the teacher they know more than they should know um mm-hmm. he knows a lot but there's one thing he the one thing he doesn't know is how to lose every single time this kid fails or doesn't or is not chosen to be the winner in a game he throws a tantrum seriously mm-hmm. to the point that he starts throwing chairs and you know here akuna kiboko <laughs> the worst thing uh, to do is shout at them or, or tell them to go stand outside for and it happened it has happened more than three times now and i keep seeing it and i'm and i feel so bad for this kid because he's so bright he's so talented so gifted clearly but he doesn't know how to lose you know mm-hmm. he doesn't know how to lose losing is important you need to lose at least once in your life to know to learn a lesson or two yeah i think that's very important for me i'm also trying to accept and, and normalize that failure is part of the process as you said it gives you so much perspective if mm. you are always winning first you don't yeah. appreciate how good you know once you're always winning you don't mm. appreciate how good that winning is because you think it's an obvious thing till you yeah. lose and understand that when you win like when people win they actually deserve their flowers they do and now let's let's take me a bit to france now that i'm here please take me to france I feel like I'll be answering very meaningful questions because people ask me tell me about France but they don't know what they want to know um to pal uh to palais and petit pop no let me just skip that tell me about how you got to France Uh, you know, I used to do French in high school. Oh, you did? And my relationship with, hey, my relationship with friends. I'll speak, I'll talk about that on another episode. Oh, I, but you should go check my there's a there's a thread I've left for people like you on my Insta story. Please, uh, let me mm. let me check that. Send it to me so, so I can trauma bond. Me French yeah. is just trauma for me now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Understandable. So let me just speak a bit on my journey with French. I started doing French. I think back then, Oko Primary, but it was very basic level. Zileza, bonjour, bonsoir, 
Comment ça va? Ça va bien, merci. Je m'appelle Tara Kadeni. J'ai euh, 10 ans. The basics, yeah? Yeah. And like everybody else. I mean, I think I didn't realize it then, but um, later on in life, I came to realize that I love languages, particularly French. Um, mm-hmm. I did French again. I chose it in high school as an elective. And it wasn't easy because you know learning a foreign language is hard first of all it's hard french is also harder french is very complicated for no reason it's too complicated um then there's also the fact that and i had i had this conversation just the other day almost i think yesterday with a friend of mine we were talking about how people how different people learn french it's unfortunate that people in high school only have probably two hours a week to learn french you don't get enough contact time with the language because for you to learn a language, you have to keep practicing. And if you mm-hmm. learn a language, if you learn French the same way you're learning biology, you won't move. It's not the kind of language, it's not the kind of subject you learn for an exam. You have to learn it as a language differently. You have to learn it with the aim of speaking the language, which means you have to practice every single time. And not enough people do that unless they have the passion for it, you know. Mm-hmm. Which is not the case because most people usually do French in high school because, hey, it looks fancy. Yeah. It looks fancy. Honestly, it looks fancy and people choose it for the wrong reasons. I mean, your reasons could change as time progresses, but it helps if you have a passion for it. So for me, my passion did help me, um, clearly. I, it wasn't hard for me. It wasn't that hard. I remember there were days where most people complained about class being too difficult. The exams was the exam was hard, but it wasn't that way for me. I think I just had I loved French and French loved me back, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I did. The thing is, the thing about Kenya and French, there's a continuity gap between high school and um, I mean. French after high school, not much happens there, uh, apart from the guys who decide to go to Alliance Francaise, which is expensive. Yeah. It. A cost there is, I don't know how much, an exam there is. It's so expensive. So if you're not looking for either a job or like you're not really passionate about it, you wouldn't go there. And if you went, you'd probably, you wouldn't last much. So um, I was part of those people who didn't have much continuity. But the love I had for French kept me going because I used to listen to a lot of French music. Um, I used to try and watch some French films or with captions and stuff like that. And then fast forward to uni. And when we got to the year where we're choosing electives, I didn't choose French because we're supposed to start from scratch. Because I was already at like level B1 of the language and then I was supposed to go again and start bonjour. It didn't make much sense for me because I thought I would be wasting time. You don't time. want to secure the A? Nah, to... No, honestly, no. I mean, come yeah. on, no. We'd have been wasting time, honestly. And I wanted to add more languages to my arsenal, you see? So I so wow, this mm-hmm. is a nice opportunity for me to do German. So I picked German. I studied a bit of German. And then as time went by, I started getting into French communities. I started meeting people who were in various French communities. Like there's this particular one called, uh, let me plug it here for people to listen to it and go join. It's called Francophone Network of Kenya. Francophone Network of Kenya, I think you can find it via various social media platforms. It's It was very useful for me because when I joined it, 
and it's still happening right now um in that particular network in they have a whatsapp group and a telegram group where you have to read a, um a passage a passage of french every single day every single day and then you get somebody a professor to assess you and tell you how you read how your rhythm was which words you mispronounce you mispronounce and all that so it did go a long way in keeping me in touch with the french world and in keeping my my fluency intact so it did go a long way and also giving me opportunities like what i have now so the thing is when you plug into french communities in kenya you get to interact with people who are like minded and you go to um like alliance française for events that are french based like screening of french films and it really does go a long way because when you're out of school and you have to teach yourself a language it's not easy honestly it's not easy so when you have a community for accountability it's it's better that way so that is it's through fnk and a friend of mine called a friend of mine called john osoro who went for this same program in 2018 that i got to hear about the tapif program which means teaching assistants teaching assistant program in france so every mm-hmm. every year the government of france takes a bunch of students from english not just english because there's a, there's actually people who teach spanish but i teach english there's people from different countries who come to teach their language to the kids because you know they don't in france they don't speak much english mm-hmm. yeah they don't speak a lot of that so we come here to help the kids to teach i mean to help the teachers to teach english because even the teachers who teach english here don't teach english that well like they still have the french accent you can they need us that's what i'm saying they need people from native um english speaking countries to speak to the kids and show them how certain words are pronounced and stuff like that so that's how i got into the program yeah and the rest as they say is history so really mm-hmm. for you french has also opened doors for you oh it in has. short all the things like everything in your life has led to this moment everything you've done has been beneficial yeah to who you are today Oh definitely most definitely most most definitely I feel like I'm the another thing I would say is that has really worked in my favor is the fact that I really put myself out there I I I think I'm a big big believer in putting myself out there like mm-hmm. I think anybody who's had either my contact or has followed me on social media even before France has at some point seen me talking about either french or reposting stuff with french captions you know when you do stuff like that people associate with, the, with associate you with the kind of brand that you put out there so if somebody sees an opportunity that is in line in line with your brand obviously you're the first person they will think of you see yeah that's how it works so putting yourself out there really goes a long way and yeah i'm a big believer in that people should do that more often honestly Yeah you need to shout for the poor at the back I think that is very important Yeah like even for me even my life story my mm-hmm. short life story just putting myself out there is what differentiates me from anyone else and I think mm-hmm. as you've said for you that's the differentiating factor where probably the people who've been more talented as you Yeah probably as you've said even when you're entering your basketball team yeah. you aren't the best but I you taking the step to put yourself yeah. out there Yeah when everyone else wants to talk about um want to self sabotage and talk about how it's embarrassing how the people perceive yeah. them i think right now in you in hindsight mm-hmm. people are someone's just saying i wish i'd done this you know exactly mm. 
that's the worst thing to ever tell yourself that you wish you had done it when I you wish had I the had. chance to. I wish mm. I had. Oh my God, that's the worst thing. You either you'd you'd rather do it and then regret doing it than regret not having tried. You know. Yeah. You didn't try. I mean, the opportunity was right there, but you didn't even try. You just watched mm. it pass by. That's sad. And you know the the even trying then mean you're losing. Because yeah. guys think that it's either zero or a hundred, but trying means no. you went fifty percent, and in this fifty percent, you probably made networks. Mm-hmm. You probably met some of the people you'll never meet again. Mm-hmm. So for me, I as I, I'm a, I agree with you that I'm a firm believer of putting yourself out there. I mm-hmm. mean, at the end of the day, what's the worst that could happen? Not much. Yeah, and no one, no one really thinks about you, about you that much for you to feel like everyone's gonna think about you. Absolutely like, not. No one. <laughs> Yeah, everyone is yeah. concerned about themselves, so you might as well. And even now, as you went, mm-hmm. I want you to tell me about mm-hmm. ADHD. That's the one thing you've not talked about. I think I've done an episode on ADHD, and we talked about yeah. how a lot of people who struggle with ADHD initially don't know they struggle with ADHD. Oh, yeah. A lot of people who yeah. have ADHD yeah. uh, delve into so many different things, and it's yeah. very hard to settle on one thing. A lot of people who struggle with ADHD are very yeah. smart as well. Yeah. So tell me about ADHD. About what when you discovered you have ADHD and how it has been for you. Right. So just quick disclaimer. If I was to talk about ADHD, I would take 24 hours and I wouldn't still be understood and I probably wouldn't understand myself. Mm-hmm. I, like most, in fact, like everybody else who has ADHD is, trying, is still trying to learn about it. It's a whole... It's very complicated and very um, contradictory. That's the thing about ADHD. But let me just share with you my experience and um, the experience of enough people who've come to me. Because I do post a lot of a lot about ADHD on my socials, especially my Twitter and my Instagram. And enough people come to me like, oh, yeah, Tara, I related with that. I related with that. And then sometimes we do talk about it in depth and then there's enough people who actually found out they're like, yeah, they're not okay. And for the longest time, they've been blaming the symptoms they have on stuff like CG, their star sign, or like their personality type. Oh, I thought it's just because I was G N I N F J. I thought it's just because I was... And this whole time, this person was struggling with things that were beyond their control, and they didn't realize it was ADHD. So, for me, um, I'll also write about it on my blog at some point when I when I'm done figuring it out in the next probably a couple of years. So um, just mm-hmm. for now, I would say that I've always sort of thought that my brain didn't work like other people. I've always had a feeling, it was just a feeling at the back of my mind that something is different, something about the way I perceive this issue or something the way I, something about the way I experience something else is different or something about the way I'm, I always forget, I always like, if there's one thing that is certain about me, I will forget. In fact, there was, a, there was this time we were asked to, in some group, we were asked to, to give verbs that you think describe you. And my verb, the first verb that came to my mind was forget. Um, mm-hmm. um, so, and I, there's a blog I wrote on, yeah, there's a blog I wrote on, 20, I think in 2017, about ADHD on my blog. And when I look back right now, I see somebody who was trying to figure out what it was and was it, I didn't really um, understand what it was. 
but now that I have a better understanding of it, I can say that um, I have struggled with a lot since, um, for as long as I can remember, especially when it comes to memory and stuff like disorganization and impulsivity, which are all, and oh, and obviously focus. Focus has always been an issue for me. And um, scatterbrainness is all the usual symptoms. But it is only until the pandemic hit that I realized, hey, something is up. I think it, that is when it got like too much because in the span of one week, I had lost, I had forgotten, either forgotten or lost too much of my valuables. You either had left shoes in a matatu. I had left, I had left my, um, I had planned to carry my umbrella and I left it in the house. Like it was just a point where I was going through either a, a very high pressure situation. I don't know what happened, but it was that time that I decided I should probably see a psychiatrist. So I went and saw a psychiatrist and I explained to them everything that I had been feeling. They usually take you through a lot. They ask you about your academic records and all that and your symptoms, how you react to different situations. And then after that, the thing, the, the best thing about getting a diagnosis and even understanding that you have ADHD, in my, in my, in my opinion, is the community. The community that ADHD, that having ADHD gives you, gives you mm -hmm. a better understanding of the, of the condition. Because without people sharing their tips to overcome it or their, their, their own symptoms, you feel like you're too different. And then people start sharing and you're like, wow, that's me too. So it's, it becomes normal. And one thing about ADHD, it is so grossly misunderstood. And I see people on social media, when people talk about mental health on social media, they really... That there's a lot of bloodlines as to what is a disorder, what is a disease, what is an illness, what is a what. ADHD is just a condition, it's a disorder. It stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And it manifests differently in different people. That's, what's, that's one of the things I hate about it, because it's not the same for everyone. Um, plus, there's also, like, there's ADHD um, hyperactive, there's ADHD inattentive, then there's ADHD combined, I'm combined. So... I have all the symptoms for the people who are inattentive, they struggle to focus. And at the same time, I also have the faces where I'm hyper, hyperactive. You, I know some people would call it, like there's people who would attribute it to their personalities. But deep down when you look at some things in your life and you realize you're struggling too much more than the average person with some issues, some aspects like just... Especially the one thing that most people come to me with is the the lack of motivation. Um, feeling like you can't get yourself to do stuff. Because one thing about the ADHD brain, the ADHD brain can't jumpstart. It struggles to jumpstart. Like you sit down, I'm sitting on a chair. I know I'm supposed to go and get some dishes done. And that's all that's going on in my, in my mind. In my mind, it's just, Tara, go get those dishes done. Tara, go get, Tara, do this. Tara, do this. And you're not getting yourself to do it. And you don't mm -hmm. understand why you're not doing it. And you know you have to do it. And you know the consequences of not doing it. But you can't get yourself to do it because your brain has just refused. You have all the time, all the resources, all the know-hows. Know but you can't get yourself to do it. That's the worst thing about it. And most people usually think they're going through either depression or they're just going through a slump in life. But when you sit down and you assess um, yourself and... Be honest with yourself and tell yourself that yeah and admit to yourself that yes you've been struggling with this for so long 
and there's also this other symptom that you're experiencing you might realize that you have to see a specialist it might not always be adhd it could be anything else because most mental illnesses have overlapping symptoms so i think people need to come to a point where they have to admit that they are not okay and that's usually the the first step of, of, of all of it you have to admit that you're not fine and then mm-hmm. you have to admit that you need to seek help because after you seek help you'll start seeing other people like you and you'll start realizing that it's okay to not be okay and you'll start being you'll start appreciating and giving yourself the grace to be different i think mm-hmm. that is the one the biggest lesson i've had in my journey with adhd from 29 2020 i give myself the grace to to be different i allow myself to be to experience the world differently because i can't set certain goals like the way a neurotypical a neurotypical is somebody who has uh, n- no um neurological um difference a neurotypical mm-hmm. would make would would sit down and set a couple of goals and say by 12 pm i need to have done this assignment by 9 pm i need to have done this and this and this but as a, as a as a neurodivergent you can't just sit down and do that and that's something i was laughing at myself when I, when i was starting the year and i was setting up i was setting my goals and i was i told myself honestly be honest with yourself you know you can't accomplish all that you've written within the short time span just treat yourself differently and give yourself mm-hmm. the grace to wander a bit don't restrict yourself to a certain type of schedule because you know that's not how your brain works you know Hmm. Yeah. That's very interesting, huh? Oh, it is. So, and another thing about ADHD in Africa especially and in girls, it's grossly Billy, I'm telling you it is so grossly misdi- either misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed. Most people with ADHD don't even know they have ADHD yet. And it is very mm-hmm. sad to watch because I see this thing on social media a lot people who have ADHD is talking about how they can see ADHD in other people. but these people don't know it yet because you know when you have something when you have either ADHD or whatever um condition you can sit in somebody else you can actually just look at somebody and see wow this is you're not normal but you don't know it yet and ADHD is usually known as a white boy's disease because the typical ADHD um the one that is on the media is it's it's called squirrel it's the one for getting distracted to somebody then the next minute a fly crosses the wall and your your eyes turn to it that's the typical representation of ADHD in the media and ADHD is not always like that especially in girls because most girls usually have the inattentive type of ADHD they just tend to zone out and they tend to to be they would you'd confuse them as you'd 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 think they are reserved or like um laid back but deep down they're just not like the rest you know Yeah, they're struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're struggling and they don't know yet. That's the saddest part. So I I really like that more and more people are beginning to have these conversations about mental health whether it's bipolar disorder or OCD or um, you know depression and all these other um conditions and illnesses because the more we talk about it the more visibility it gets and the more people realize that they are not okay and they need help. Yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. and that's why for me even yeah. with the podcast uh-huh go ahead yeah yeah no i'm done i'm done no i just think like that's why for me even with the podcast i try not to focus on depression only because that's the when people talk about mental health that's the only 
Oh yes. Health condition people talk about. Tell yeah. me your, your two two cents on that. Let me tell you. <laughs> this thing is it's <laughs> very triggering for me. Because mm-hmm. the first session I had with my psychiatrist, I was misdiagnosed. They told me he told me I have mixed MADD. MADD stands for mixed anxieties, depressive disorder. So I remember going home. I read for hours and hours. I was just reading about this mixed anxieties, depressive disorder. I was wondering what is this? What is this I've been diagnosed with? Because everything I read about it did not look at look like me at all. I was like, what is this? And it was very, it was a very confusing moment for me because I knew what I was experiencing and it was not what was on paper, what I was being told I have. So, it, I mean, mental illnesses do have overlapping symptoms, but it's always good to see a, a well-trained and a, a reputable specialist. And if you're not satisfied with one, go to another, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's not always articulate I'm talking depressed. Come today's generation, everybody just says I'm depressed, I'm depressed, Nikona depression. And you don't mm-hmm. know what people who are actually depressed are going through. So try to use the right terms. So like how people usually say, Hey, today I'm feeling a bit ADHD. Yeah. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not. You're feeling distracted. You're not feeling ADHD. Come on. Well, that trigger you because hey, on the DL, I've been seeing a lot of people talking about that. Like everyone oh. now just coming out and think they have ADHD when they can't do their most mundane task. Yeah. That trigger you. It's usually it's really a it's a gray light. It's a, like some, somewhat a gray area for me because no one is trying to get get keep a mental illness. And the fact that we need we need more and more people to talk about it for more and more people to realize they have it. And at the same time, we also don't want anyone to just say, I have it and you don't. It's just because you're a bit distracted, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't really involve myself in that kind of conversation. Just let people say what they want to say. But sometimes it felt I'm not I'm not a, a very sensitive person when it comes to words. Because me, when I see people on social media saying, today I'm feeling ADHD, personally, it wouldn't hurt me. It wouldn't make me feel anything at all. But I know there's somebody out there who it will make feel bad, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And now tell me, now you've talked about that certain things you can't tell yourself, like certain goals you can't put for yourself. Mm-hmm. Was, that a, was that a bit appeal to swallow? Was it always easy now that you're a very... I don't understand overachiever, but like you mm-hmm. are, you've achieved a lot. So you are internalizing this and understanding that there are certain goals that have to take time for you. Was mm-hmm. it a bit appeal for you to swallow? And mm-hmm. just for that, please tell me about where you draw the line between, like for me, probably I'm not diagnosed. Yeah. But so like, you know, in an African home, oh, yeah. what you, what you've described is typically will be called laziness. It, so oh, told it is, you can't do this task. It's it laziness. is laziness. Oh, it is laziness. I've, my whole life I've been called lazy. Yeah. Lazy. So I need you to tell me what's the line. Like, where do you know I'm, this one, I'm generally being lazy? Mm-hmm. Or this one, I actually are symptoms of ADHD? Oh, yeah. Okay. And for you, how was it all along being called lazy and actually probably internalize that you're actually a very lazy person mm-hmm. when all that along you are struggling? Tell me about that. Yeah. Um. Wait, what was the first question you asked again? Haha. <laughs> <laughs> there it goes. What did you ask? What, you've asked, you've said too many things. Oh, yeah, you asked if it was a bitter pill to swallow for me, yeah? Mm-hmm. Honestly, it wasn't. It wasn't because I've been dealing with this for almost a year now. And with time, mm-hmm. I said I've continued to give myself the grace to live my life in my own terms. 
and I'm not really honestly I have this conversation with myself a lot I don't really have much external pressure to perform or to achieve because I know for a fact that I've achieved enough not enough like a lot for my age yeah and I I I clap for myself every time I do something small as it may be I clap for myself and I recognize that I am doing well in life please um, teach me that trait Oh, After this recording, to cut on a new attend. Lazima. Okay. It's it's important. Uh-huh. Man. It's important to give yourself a tap on the back every time you do something small as it is. Let me let me give you one. I'm I'm digressing, but let me give you one um small example. I'm in France. Mm-hmm. I came here to teach English. These people don't speak English. I teach them English, so it's cool. It's a cool thing, because I speak English and they don't. Mm-hmm. They find it so cool. And I get to have side jobs where I teach, I can teach people English probably like for an hour and earn almost 3,000 Kenyan shillings just because I was teaching somebody's child was, is, sijuinini, had, have. You know, like these small, uh-huh. things that you, these small, small things that you have in your life that you think are normal or like an average that every, you think everybody has. Or like that talent that you have and you think, ah, it's probably not that good. Ah, it's probably yeah. not, it's not all that. Trust me, mm-hmm. it is all that. Because there's not when you think about when you think when you look at the bigger picture, there's not many people in the world who can do that thing that you do. So people should give themselves, I mean, more credit for 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 stuff. Because I even saw a tweet the other day saying Kenyans or Africans in general should give them should give themselves more credit for speaking four languages and above. Yeah. English, Kiswahili, and then you have your mother tongue, and then there's people who have additional foreign languages there. That's not mm. normal. It's, it looks normal yeah. in Kenya because it's many people, but when you come here to France and realize people only speak French, <laughs> you're like, you deserve tiny, tiny things you have in your life that you think are normal. They're big deals when you look at them from a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. So there's that. So I, as I was saying, I do appreciate where I am in life and I give myself a tap on the back every once in a while. So I never really have the, the societal pressure that most people in my age have. Sidri to achieve and Sidri do what? By what age? Sidri ko nini? Have kids by what age? I mean, just mute that thing. Mute that noise. Because even you deep down, you know, it's just, it's, it's a buzz. It's, it's, a, a, it's so much noise from social media. And you know, deep down, that there's no timeline in life, that everybody has their own path. So that's as far as it goes when it comes to me feeling like it was a bitter pill to swallow. It wasn't, honestly. Um, and then the second part you asked, um, or you talked about, you asked Lisa. me how how the ADHD is perceived in Africa or in my family or the, the me feeling like I was lazy or being called lazy. So for the longest time, although I still maintain i don't remember too much about my childhood but there are things that that stick with me the things that i can see now and i recognize now as adhd and i never really used to understand it like in my household for the longest time if you want to if you want tara okay i'm tara not tara tara is like the official side and then tara is what people call me at home if you want tara uh-huh. to do something you'll have to tell her 10 times you have to tell her 10 mm-hmm. times, Tara, and I wash a vyombo. Tara, and I wash a vyombo. I mean, back then I didn't used to know what it was. And now when I look at it, 
I didn't, I wasn't rude. I didn't, I wasn't lazy. I didn't not want to wash those dishes. I just couldn't get myself to do it. And it happened so many times until it became like my brand. So there's that. And there's also the fact <laughs> that, yeah, the fact that ADHD in Africa is not, I mean, he's only magonjwa za wazungu. Unafanya nini na ADHD? Umetoa api? Like how? How do you have ADHD? How? And yeah. then there's also the notion that if you have ADHD, you're supposed to be collapsing. You can't be thriving. Like You can't be living life like that. Oh, this is another triggering part I didn't mention. And it's the one reason that I will never recommend my psychiatrist to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, this guy laughed. He told me, how can you say you you how can you think you have ADHD and you went to Alliance? I and, beg your pardon. Okay. I have never if if there's if there was a list of top five things that triggered me in like my life, that would be like number two or one. Number of, number two. <laughs> I don't know what you one know, would be, but that would be yeah, it would be up that there. That would be top two and definitely not it number two. Up there. <laughs> definitely. I mean up to date, those words still ring in my mind, but mm-hmm. I, I still I do have the understanding that, and I've I've had this conversation with. I th- yeah, yeah, wait, you do. He does. He also does have ADHD, and we, talk, we talked about it, and we were angry. Um, there's okay. this notion. There's this notion that kids who have or people who have ADHD um, fail in school. It's a mm-hmm. very misleading notion. The fact is that you will struggle in school because our system of education, as it, as is in Kenya, requires you to have good memory, requires you to remember what you learned in school. And ADHD, as it is, has like you're gonna struggle with your memory first of all. You're gonna struggle the concentration in cl- concentration in class, which means you're gonna struggle in getting good grades. But it doesn't mean you'll fail if you're smart, and if you and it technically means you're gonna have to do more than the rest to get to where they are. It doesn't mean you're gonna fail. You will struggle in school, but it doesn't mean that you you being smart or being in alliance or whatever means you can't have ADHD. It's a, it's a very stupid notion, and we see it so much on social media. And uh, it's a very triggering moment for me, but yeah, it is mm-hmm. what it is. I think uh, when, when, um, when all is said and done, people who offer psychiatric services should be extremely qualified because this is like somebody's life on the line. It's literally the same as a physical illness. And as much yeah. as most people don't consider it the same. So yeah, there's that. Right. I think you need to one day we should talk more in depth about such um psychiatrists where even for them to laugh when you're in the room, that's very unprofessional, I mean. Can you imagine? You know I can't I'm still trying to understand the depth of of how messed up that is because yeah. i'm thinking about when you just go to a normal hospital and you have a condition and some your, the doctor is laughing and then they laugh it's a mental thing so it's even worse because it's mental this is something you've been struggling with your whole life and here you're getting to the life at the end of the tunnel you go see the person who is the quote-unquote god and then they laugh at you and they give the high five, right. and you fall back down into the hole. So, mm, love that should definitely be the yeah. last one. Yeah. But even now, as you wind up, one other thing I want to ask about is um, 
I'll give an analogy. And it's just mm-hmm. about um, guys being afraid to go get uh, diagnosed. Mm-hmm. It's about, I saw a certain video where a lady was saying how she's feeling pain in her breast, what not, what not, cancer has been in her family, mm-hmm. but she didn't want to go get diagnosed and be told it's breast cancer because once she's told is when uh-huh. she'll, you know, get a certain, like she start feeling bad about it. So she'd rather live in the oblivion that oh. like she didn't have, like it was really, that was a really, I was like, what? What? Like, but Yo. in the conversation of that video, a lot of people are agreeing. Obviously, obviously mm-hmm. people tell her, go get checked. This is actually something so serious. But yeah. a lot of people are also agreeing and saying that uh, ignorance is bliss. So what you don't know won't kill you. So like if someone no, has no, COVID no, no. symptoms. Not in cancer. Not when it comes to cancer. Oh yeah. Not not in, I said surely of all things, not in that one. <laughs> oh my God. Because like, you know, cancer, I think it's supposed to be general knowledge that the more you stay with it, the more it grows. And the more it grows, the worse it gets. And the worse it gets, it gets the lower your chances of saving your life. So... That's the only one. The better. No, but but even me just looking at that video is just I was just too stunned to speak. But it's just you like even you get. <laughs> I didn't want to use the analogy for the guys' side. <laughs> I so like if you have COVID, for example, um, someone would would have symptoms of COVID, but they'd say, "Let me go to the hospital because what I'm told is COVID is when you get worse." Like this common saying, yeah. The time you want to, like Kenyans, you know how Kenyans and STDs are. So someone said, the moment you want to go check, get checked for an STD, that's the first mm. symptom that you have it. It's a very backward way of thinking. That's like, really backward. Just... Anyway, so like, the now getting diagnosed would mean, like, so for example, now in this case, getting diagnosed would mean now you start feeling the symptoms and start, um, for some people, they'd say blaming everything you do on this or making your whole personality around mm this thing so for example if you get adhd now your whole personality revolves mm. around adhd and so a lot of people do not get diagnosed because of the stigma again because as you mm. said they didn't ADHD, the final distance for disorder and african yeah. settings disorder is not a good thing like when, when i think about disorder i'm just like disorder you know so yeah. a lot of guys would rather not get diagnosed so please tell me for you what made you very be very open to actually mm. getting diagnosed and not to tell someone who's still thinking that way that mm people will treat them differently or like, you know, once you diagnose yourself, you yeah. kind of trap yourself into this thing where now you can't free yourself. Yeah. Uh, good that you asked that because I remembered I didn't, I forgot to answer the other question I asked about where do you draw the line between um, normal um, human be- human weaknesses like laziness and ADHD. Um, mm-hmm. For ADHD, the one thing about ADHD, it's there's a whole system for diagnosis. Um, for you to, for it to actually be diagnosable, for it to be ADHD, it has to have affected the quality of your life significantly. You get. Mm-hmm. If you're just feeling like uh, you're feeling unmotivated, but then at some point at the end of the day, the motivation comes and you get your work done and you move on with life, or like you can be forgetful. Naturally, it's normal. You can be forgetful. But you still get to do stuff. I mean, that's okay. That could be something else. It could just be a personality trait. And that's okay. But for something like ADHD, these symptoms that you have, whether it's impulsivity, impulsiveness, sorry, impulsiveness, forgetfulness, distract, being distracted easily, or emotional, dis- emotional dysregulation, these symptoms have to have affected your life significantly. Either it's whether it's your workplace or it's in academics. Because I remember when I was 
it's this is around the time I went for my diagnosis. Um, that the week that I that it was I think I was one or two weeks into my attachment after university, and I could not for the life of me concentrate on what was happening. Like the whole day, how am I supposed to sit in an office from eight to five? and sit on a computer and do all these things those i really struggled i think those were like um i, th- I think i did it for two or three months they were like three of the hardest months in my life because my brain was just in denial i was struggling to do what other people were doing very naturally so it really has to affect your life in a very significant kind of way and then you've asked me about people who are afraid of going for diagnosis for either stigma because of stigma or fear of the illness or the condition being um, a part of them or like uh, mm-hmm. their personality. One thing, um, as I said, the one thing that a diagnosis will give you and you'll really appreciate is the community. The community will teach you how to cope. The community will teach you, will show you that it's normal. The community will show you the ways around you, will teach you the words, the vocabulary of the, all that. Um, and, um, it's it's a very controversial thing. Self-diagnosis mm-hmm. is a very controversial thing. For me, I am a believer in self-diagnosis only if it's followed by an actual diagnosis. Because for me, I think self-diagnosis diagnosis should be the first step. For you to even go to a psychiatrist first, you yourself, you need to look at yourself and see. Ebu, you diagnose Kwanza, just tell yourself, um, how am I feeling? Assess yourself, look at your symptoms, look at what it could be. Do the diagnosis, do the diagnosis with yourself first before you go to... Uh, a specialist and then mm-hmm. yeah that's as far as what that's what i think about self-diagnosis it's valid for as long as it has it is accompanied by a diagnosis from a, um, a specialist yeah mm-hmm. what else did you ask i think you've covered what i asked about just uh, being afraid of diagnosis getting yeah. diagnosed yeah and now yeah. i think when i have uh-huh and um, if somebody if somebody is afraid of getting diagnosed when it's com- when it comes to mental illness if you're afraid of getting diagnosis then i don't think you're struggling honestly if you're just mm-hmm. if it's not about payment because the, the the thing about mental health in kenya it can be crazy expensive cg1 session of therapy can be up to 3000 shillings that's crazy if it's not about the cost that's if it's about the cost that's fine very understandable but if you're just seated you can afford to go but you're not you don't want to go for fear of something, then I don't really think you're struggling. I do mm. understand the stigma that part, sense. but if you are struggling mm-hmm. for real, you would really go for that diagnosis because obviously diagnosis will also come with meds, treatment, and all that. Yeah. I think that's very true. I've never actually thought about it from that perspective, where if you're actually afraid, then probably you're not. Yeah struggling as much because if you're actually struggling i think That's... we can go on and on i think when i have good guests on the podcast i enjoy mm-hmm. a very good conversation so i think i can ask you many questions but now i know i've said many last ones but this is not the last yeah. one last one last one okay. is tell me about your thoughts upon adderall so adderall yeah. uh i'll give you the two perspectives that i've heard of and i want to know yeah. your thoughts on it so Adderall, mm-hmm. you know, it helps with someone who has it, maybe, what not, what not. But now the other side mm-hmm. is, yeah. it become, makes the person dependent on exactly. Adderall. So you can't function with Adderall. So yeah. there are two sides of that coin. So tell me, for you, we, yeah. on which side does your coin land on? 
Uh, so the drug I was prescribed for was called Statera. Let me give you a bit of a history. The drug I was prescribed for was called Statera. I took it. I remember taking it for the first, the first day I took it. I almost lost my mind. I do. I didn't. It's but it's normal. I was. I was told it's normal. The, you get some side effects. You start sweating profusely. You get thirsty. Your heart starts beating fast. Mm-hmm. I was scared. I quickly reached out to people who had taken it before, and they told me it takes a while for your body to adjust to it. So I took it for like a week, and it did work. I did feel productive. But I never got used to the symptoms because the symptoms didn't stop. So I stopped for a while. I was told to go back to the doctor, I mean, to the psychiatrist to get my dose adjusted. That could be an issue. And I mm-hmm. I remember not going. I remember feeling like I don't want to do the meds. I remember feeling so scared. And then as time went by, I remember telling myself, I don't really want to be dependent on these if I have to be on this medication for my body to function, what happens when I don't have this medication? And let me tell you, the ADHD drug is so freaking expensive. Like a packet like this is like almost 14000 Something that will end in like a week. Are you going to tell me I'm going to kill a week in the way, maybe in a 14K, 14K? I, there's no way. So I chose, I even, I still have the packets. I hope it's not expired. I have it somewhere in my, in my stuff. I plan to use it on a day that I feel like I really need to use it. But I am not, I'm the people who don't take meds for it. I opt to use coping mechanisms. And there's there's something called behavioral therapy. I think that's the right word. I hope that's the right word. It's yeah. when it's when you're taught to it's when you're taught how to how to get stuff done basically for a day, like how to for instance, how to not forget, how to not, um, how to stay focused, things you can do. There's something called steaming, S-T-I-M-M-I-N-G, that ADHD people do when they need to focus. Like, there's people who really um, have to keep doodling, drawing stuff. They pull, there's people who shake their legs, their legs. There's people who pull their hairs. That's my type. I pull my hair a lot. Like, there's things that can help you. There's even fidgeting toys. There's fidgeting toys that can even help you get that concentration. So I chose to use the behavioral therapy part. And I I even had um, this, um, there's a whole behavioral therapy session that goes on. If I'm not wrong, I'll confirm the details. It goes on in, in Upper Hill, some place called mm-hmm. Bustani Gardens. There's, a, there's really an ADHD behavioral therapy class that people have. So if there's anyone out there who doesn't want to use the meds, you can go and try that. It it does go a long way. And that's how you notice people, ADHD is more pronounced in kids because kids don't know how to manage the symptoms as compared to adults who've lived with it and have learned to cope, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not for the drug. The drug can be addictive. Okay. Not addictive. Like you become dependent and it's crazy expensive. So I think the folks have it. I think they should tell us, gathered from our episode, what are the good, the bad, and the most insightful things they've actually gotten from this episode. Because for me, I've learned a lot. I didn't even know it is just called the white boy's bias. Oh, it and is. And they should, they should tweet at us at the Busharian pod on Twitter, at the good, the bad, and the Busharian on Instagram, and tell us some of the things they've loved about this episode. Because personally, I've loved recording this episode. So I can't wait to share it with them. Have a lovely week ahead, folks, and cheers. Thank you.